Good to be with you today. I'm glad you could be here. Uh, we're continuing in a, a series called The Songs of Christmas. So this is week number three of four. Uh, we've already looked at the songs of Elizabeth and Mary. Uh, this morning I'm going to look at the song of Zechariah. And then tonight at our candlelight service we'll look at some of the uh, songs of the angels. And then next week uh, Larry High, one of our elders, will wrap up our series and look at Simeon's song. So it uh, might be one of the clearest signals that Christmas is here is the music and the songs uh, that we listen to. Um, there was a guy who was on a game show. Uh, he was doing well. It looked like he was going to be the champion of the day and be able to come back tomorrow, uh, the next day, win more cash and prizes. And uh, so the host said, we've got one last question you need to get right, and here's your question. I need you to name two of Santa's reindeer. And the guy was like, Whew, an easy question. This is awesome. And so he says, Rudolph and Olive. And there was a groan just like that in the audience. Like, and the host says, all right, we can give you Rudolph, but can you explain Olive? And so he said, well, you go through the song, right? How's it go? Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. And Olive, the other reindeer. He didn't get to come back the next day. But the Christmas songs are certainly a signal that Christmas is here. There's a few others. And kids, you can help me out, or adults too. You've got uh, Frosty, Frosty the Snowman, a happy, jolly soul. With a corncob pipe and a button nose and two eyes made of coal, right? What about Jingle Bells? Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle all the way. All right. This is as close as I get to being able to lead worship and singing right here. Right? And we have some for adults too, right? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. And I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents by the tree. And then Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Now nah, we'll skip that one. Let's don't do that one. Christmas really is a unique holiday, more than any other, even more than Easter. There is both a secular and a religious celebration of the same holiday with different meaning. For culture, most uh, people culturally, Christmas is a time of uh, trees and decorations and lights, gathering of family together and eating of good food, and then also of giving gifts to co-workers or friends, people you care about, but also giving gifts and thinking of those who are less fortunate than we are. And those are all good things. Those are good things that we can embrace and yet, as Christians, we know there's more to Christmas than just that. And so we also sing songs like we've done this morning. The light of the world, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Hark, the herald angels sing. Because Christmas is a celebration to remember God. Christmas is a celebration to remember God. To remember that he entered into our experience. He became human. He was born as a baby, and he came to rescue us because we could not rescue ourselves. So, in that sense, to understand Christmas really is to understand the gospel. It is to understand the heart of Christianity. But we should also notice that the gospel is good news, not good advice. And Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, talks about this in his book called Hidden Christmas. The Christmas uh, texts in Scripture are different than many of the other stories or myths or fables about Christmas. They don't start once upon a time or in a far, far away land. 
The Christmas story is based on what Jesus is and does in history. It really happened. For our songs of Christmas, we're in the book of Luke. If you want to turn there in your device, or you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Got the four Gospels and the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the third book, Luke. Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw upon an account of the things that you have that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. So Luke's saying, I want you to know about this Christmas story, and this is what's been handed down by eyewitnesses. They were there. They saw it. And they were servants of the word. And with this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated from the very beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of these things that you have been taught. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Advice tells you what you need to do. News tells you something has already been done for you. Advice tells you to make something happen. News tells you someone else has done something. Advice says it's all up to you to act. News, on the other hand, says something happened, and now you can respond. The biblical texts are an account of what actually happened in history. It's telling us what God already has done. And so the gospel is good news. Jesus came to save you. You don't have to try to save yourself. And so Christmas is a celebration to remember God, but Christmas is also a celebration that God remembers us. It is both of those things. So let's look at Zachariah's song. It's going to be found in Luke chapter 1 down to verses 67 to 79. But I want to look at the singer first, and then we'll look at the song. The singer and then the song. Now, if you've listened to uh, the first two sermons in the series, we've already learned some things about Zechariah because the other characters that we've looked at are his wife, Elizabeth, and then their relative, Mary. So if you didn't uh, get a chance to listen to those, I encourage you to go to our website or YouTube page and you can listen to those sermons. But let's look at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. In that time, Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, meaning that she was the daughter of a priest. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So you have a priest, a priest's daughter. They're very righteous people. They're older now, and they still don't have a child, which is something they desire. And so Zacharias continuing to serve in his rotation, and he's in the temple serving there, and an angel appears, and he's kind of startled. But in verse 13, we read that the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. God has heard your prayers. You are going to have a son. And then he goes on to say, your son has a purpose. He's going to be a joy to you, but he'll be a joy to many others. And he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to lead many people to God. And he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
Verse 18, Zechariah's response isn't maybe what we would have expected. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah isn't sure this really could happen. So he asked for a sign. God, give me a sign so I'll know this is really true. Verse 19, the angel said, but I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. It's good news. It's as if it's already happened. Look, I'm coming from God's very throne room. I'm telling you this. This is going to happen. Verse 20, and now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this happens. Until what happens? Until the baby's born. How long does it take for a baby to be born after it's conceived? About nine months. So for nine months, Zechariah is going to be unable to speak. Because you did not believe in my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah is going to have a song. and We're going to look at it. But what will that song be? Zechariah is going to sing. But what will he sing? Elizabeth and Mary's songs were bursts of joy because something really good was happening. They've had miraculously, miraculous pregnancies, and each of their boys is going to have a special purpose in God's plan. But things just got very different for Zechariah. He now is under the discipline of God, and he will be unable to speak for the duration of his wife's pregnancy. Think about what he's going to experience in those nine months his wife, first pregnancy. She's going to go through all that experience of a baby growing in her womb. Many physical and emotional changes. Think about all the experiences that you normally would have together. The conversations. The talking about how are you feeling and what it's like to be pregnant. And can you believe that God did this? And then the relative Mary is going to have a miraculous pregnancy as well. And she's going to be told that this is the Messiah. And then Mary's going to come and visit. And when Mary comes, the baby in Elizabeth's womb will jump. Confirmation that God is doing something very special. And through all of this, Zechariah cannot talk. Whatever that experience was going to be, it's now going to be something very different. And so Zechariah becomes very bitter and very angry, and he begins to sulk. Now, in honor of my good friend Evan, Evan, you in here today somewhere? In the back back there, we're going to say that that's CAP, C-A-P, street language for not true, false, fake news. That's not what happens. <laughs> but it would be understandable, possibly, if that was what happened, wouldn't it? Can you imagine praying for this and waiting? And now this experience comes and you doubt. And so God says, so for the whole pregnancy, you're going to be unable to speak. Now I want to jump ahead, fast forward just a little bit, because most of you know the story. But for those of you that don't, he doesn't become bitter and angry. He doesn't sulk. If you look at verse 64, after the baby is born and they name him John, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak doing what? Praising God. There is a way to go through God's discipline that grows us. There's also a way to go through God's discipline in a way that destroys us. 
One way makes us better, and one way makes us bitter. Zechariah is going to come out of this singing, not swinging at God or other people. He's going to come out of this singing, not sulking. And he's going to come out of this singing and not seething and angry. That intrigued me. As I began to look at this account of Zechariah, this piqued my interest. Because I know, too, that sometimes I'm under the discipline of God or I go through hardship and difficulty. And I'm like, how can I come through my experience the way that Zechariah does? Why isn't he angry or bitter? Why does he come out of this? And the first thing he does is he sings this song of praise to God. Now, Zechariah had an advantage that you and I don't have. He knew exactly what he had done wrong, and he knew exactly how long his discipline would last. I'm sure that one of the things that he did regularly was to search the scriptures. As a priest, he went into the temple and got out the scrolls. I'm sure that part of what he did was look and see how do these events line up with what the prophecies were. Can I see how God has been working to bring this to pass and to bring me into this? And I think we'll see that when we look at his song, that there's 16 different references to Old Testament prophecies. But I think he also went to the scriptures the same way that you and I do, to look for help. How do I handle this maybe disappointing, frustrating experience in a way that I'll come out of this in a better way. And so maybe he went to the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom, and maybe he looked at a verse like this, Proverbs 24:16, which says that though the righteous, now again remember, bad stuff doesn't only happen to bad people. Zechariah was a righteous man, and this verse says, though the righteous fall seven times, they get up again. If the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Maybe he found encouragement that okay, I messed up, but I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to continue on the path that God has for me. Or maybe he read a verse like Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those that he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Here Zechariah would have found help in looking at his circumstance as, hey, this is part of A perfect father's discipline, training. This actually lets me know that God loves me and cares about me. And this is an idea that's explored more in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. So I want to go there for just a few minutes. If you're not familiar with your Bible, here's the the Bible is, we talk about it as one book, but it really is a, a library of books. And you can see if you get to the general epistles there, Hebrews is that first book right before James. And after the book of Philemon, if you want to turn there, or the words will be up on the screen for you. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of people that were so overwhelmed by their brutal circumstances that they were ready to throw in the towel and give up on God, to turn away from their faith in Christ. And so the author of Hebrews writes to them to try to help them develop and be the kind of people that can go through hard circumstances and not give up on God. So look at verse 5. There, if you would, with me. The author says, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as children? So look, have you forgotten how God encouraged you with these words? What words? These are the verses that we read from the book of Proverbs. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up 
when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. These were meant to be encouraging words. Verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline. This is discipline from God. Another translation says, endure hardship as discipline. See, one of the things that I struggle with, and maybe you do too, is when we read our Bibles and specific characters and God speaks, whether through an angel or directly, he spoke to Zechariah and he said, listen, you doubted me, so here's your discipline. But we don't get that kind of communication from God. So how do I know when bad things happen in my life that this is some type of discipline because I've done something wrong? Or is it just something bad that's happening? The author in Hebrews says, endure all hardship as discipline. Anything bad that comes into your life, consider it as discipline. So if we're going to do that, we need to understand what does the word discipline mean? That word discipline that's used here is the word paideia. We get our word pediatric from it. It speaks of a relationship of a parent and a child. So what it's not, it's not punishment. It's also not retribution or just getting back at someone who's done something wrong. Sometimes as kids, it feels like our parents are just trying to, they're mad at us. We messed up and they're just trying to get back at us. That isn't what Paideia is. What it is is it's parental instruction and training. It's disciplining a child, training them for their good and for their growth. It's a sign in our relationship with God that he loves us and that we are his children. God is a perfect parent who sometimes allows or brings pain into his children's lives only for their good. Let's look at verse 7 again. As you endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. I went through this in my own childhood in my relationship with my dad. My dad was a very authoritarian father he was the man of the house he set the rules and you either obeyed the rules or you were punished growing up as a kid i didn't always feel like my dad loved me i was very frustrated by it even angry and when i graduated high school i couldn't wait to go away to college so i went away to college about an hour and a half away and then i couldn't wait to kind of get farther away and so when i graduated I met my wife to be there at Clearwater Christian College in Florida. We got married, and then a week later we moved here to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where the winters are warm. Everybody asked us that. What, you moved here from Florida? What are you thinking? Well, we came here to go to seminary, and then we stayed. About the first year or two that I was here, I really was convicted that I needed to figure out this relationship with my dad. I read passages like this. And I realized that the fact that my dad disciplined me, even though I felt he did it harshly and the love didn't always come across, the fact that he disciplined me was proof that he loved me. And so I decided that he did the best that he could in the best way that he could. And so I decided that I was going to try to develop a relationship with him, forgive him for where he had failed, but accept the fact that that was his way of showing love. And so we began a relationship that way, and it has grown over the years, and he's changed. And then I've gotten older, so I've understood that some of what he did actually was very loving, because that's the way it works. 
Sometimes when God allows bad stuff to come into our life, our first response is he doesn't love me or he doesn't care. The author of Hebrews says just the opposite. The fact that God has allowed those things to come into your life, consider those as discipline, and they are proof that God loves you and that you are his child. With earthly fathers, though, it can be a toss-up, can it? Some do it well, and some don't. Look at verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. Maybe a good story to illustrate that. I've shared with it before, but there was a young dad who took his son to the grocery store. His son's in the cart, and they're going along in the grocery store, and he throws a tantrum. And the dad can be overheard saying, Joe, calm down. Joe, it's going to be all right. Relax, Joe. We can make it through this, Joe. Calm down. And there's a lady over a little ways is watching this, and she's very impressed. And so she comes over and says to him, Sir, I just want to let you know, I'm so impressed with your patience and how you're handling your son. And he looks at her and goes, Lady, I'm Joe. <laughs> and sometimes as parents, even with the best intentions, it feels like all we really can do is talk to ourselves. But God is a perfect Loving Father. Everything that you would want in a dad, God is that. And when difficulty comes into our life, it's all part of his training. It says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained by it so all hardship and difficulty that comes into our life is part of god's training program that word trained there is actually the word that we get our word gymnasium from it's a workout of sorts when life's challenges and 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 hardships feel overwhelming and you don't feel like there's any purpose or plan to it just know that that's not necessarily true god has a plan and he has a program that he's taking you through. Now, I've heard that people actually go to a gym and exercise and work out. <laughs> I remember doing that a long time ago. But think about it. When you go to a gym or you work out, right? You've got a barbell here. You're going to do some bicep curls. What you're going to do is you're going to exert yourself. You're going to make your muscles tired. You're actually tearing down your muscles. And while you're doing it, the more that you do it, the weaker that you feel. But in order to become stronger, that's a necessary part of it. To exert yourself, to tear that muscle down. So if that is true in physical workouts, it's also true in spiritual workouts. And God, our perfect Heavenly Father, brings pain and difficulty into our life that's very similar to what we do when we go to exercise. The pain is necessary to grow and to become stronger. So it comes down to this. Can you see the suffering that God brings into your life as his way of developing his holiness in you? It says there that that's how you share in God's holiness. This is part of God putting his glory and good deep down into your soul. Can you see that? Can you see that it's his way of changing you from the inside out so that you can live the right way and so the question is how are we going to respond when god allows that 
to happen. Let's go back up to verse 5. And there it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, here's two ways that you, can re- you don't want to respond. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't just blow it off or just try to pretend like it doesn't matter or just suck it up. I'm just going to make it through. Don't make light of it or don't despise it. But also, don't give up. Don't become so overwhelmed. Don't think that there's no purpose or plan in it that you just throw your hands up and I'm done with it and I'm done with God. Remember, you're the child. Parents, when we discipline our kids, 99.9% of the time they don't understand it. And they won't understand it until, they're, until later in life. When God is disciplining us, it, it makes sense that we don't understand it all. We don't have to try to read or figure out all the circumstances. God knows what he's doing. So don't make light of it and don't give up. Instead, submit to it, which is what he says in verse 9. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father, our spirits, and live forever? All right, let me wrap this part up. Because I think this has to be at least part of the way that Zechariah worked through his situation. We can sum it up in three words then. When this hardship comes, see it. See it as discipline from God. It's part of his program. Then act. Don't try to figure out all the circumstances. Don't worry about, did I do something wrong in God's disciplining? Or what's this hardship from? Just submit to it. See it as part of God's training. But then examine yourself. Is there sin in your life? Is there an area that you need to confess and repent of? And if not... Ask God to give you the strength and the help that you need to go through it. And lastly, trust. Trust that your perfect heavenly Father has a purpose in this to grow you and help you become more like Jesus. So maybe Zachariah was thinking like that. However he worked through it, he showed us that a good man can become a better man. One of the things I love is he showed us that an old man can still be growing. And then he showed us that a man who knows God can have his trust in God grow even deeper. And then Elizabeth has her baby. If we go back to Luke chapter 1, they name him John. And at that moment, Zechariah is able to speak again. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. He began to speak, praising God. And verse 67 says, Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and he prophesied. And here is his song. So that's the singer. We spent about two thirds of our time there. Now let's just look at the song. The song. As I mentioned before, there's 16 different Old Testament references in Zechariah's song. I'm not going to explain it or go through it verse by verse. We're going to read it and I'll make some comments as we go through it. Here's what he says Nine months, unable to speak. And now he's written a song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. That he's come is this idea of visitation. It's the idea like a doctor going to visit someone, a patient in their home out of concern or because they want to care for them. He's saying, through this, my son being given to prepare the way and for the birth of the coming Messiah, this is God visiting his people out of concern and care for them. And he's raised up a horn of salvation, the horn is just a symbol of power and strength. Raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies, 
Now, in the Old Testament, Israel had many enemies. Currently, Zechariah and the Jewish people, the enemy is Rome. So this is speaking about political deliverance, which is what they were looking for at that time. It didn't come then, but it will come in a future day. And from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Notice the certain words are going to start to repeat from what we read in earlier verses. So to deliver us from our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah says this is what we want. We want to be able to freely serve our God all the days of our life. He goes on, and you, my child. So he switches in the middle of his song to now speak or talk to his just newborn baby boy. You will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. So this is more than just a political deliverance. It's also a spiritual deliverance. Jesus is coming to save people from their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun, which is a metaphor used often in the Old Testament about the Messiah, the morning star who brings light. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, in spiritual darkness, in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So this is Zechariah's song. Now, I mentioned that some of the words repeat. Maybe you noticed some of them. If you go back and read and underline and find the ones that match up, you'll be able to see that there's a pattern to it. That pattern is something called the chiastic structure. Chiastic structure. It's called that because this is a Greek letter, chi, which is like an X. So it's called chiastic because you start... Uh, with this pattern, and it works its way in, and then it works its way back out. So a chiastic structure is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then repeated in reverse order. So maybe Zachariah had nine months to do this, so he planned all this out. But it was a very common thing. You'll see this a lot in the Old Testament literature. So I pulled these out for you, and I want you to be able to see this. It starts with a visitation, and then salvation, prophets, enemies, and then covenant. And then here's where the idea repeats, a covenant and then an oath, and then it reverses order and works its way back out. So what you see in the center is the main point. This is the chorus of Zechariah's song, the covenant and the oath. Now, back in the very first sermon... Pastor Phil mentioned the meaning of the names of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Does anybody remember that? What does Zachariah's name mean? It means God remembers. Remembers what? The covenant. God remembers. Elizabeth's name means God is my oath. You see what Zachariah did? He put his name and his wife's name in the middle of this song. It is the chorus. Now, was he saying, hey, look at us, we're special? Not at all. What he was saying is, God in his grace and mercy has put my wife and I in the middle of this Christmas story for which we are incredibly grateful 
and thankful. He is full of thanksgiving. After 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament, Zechariah continues to faithfully serve and pray. And then after nine months of silence that came as God's discipline, Zechariah sings. He produces a song full of thanksgiving for the goodness and kindness of God because every word that God has spoken has come true. Verse 80 says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Christmas is a celebration to remember God. As we bring out our nativity sets, and as we have Christmas parties, and as we decorate, and as we get together with family, as we listen to Christmas music, we remember God because Christmas is essentially about God and the gospel. Because Christmas is also a celebration that God remembers us. He saw our helpless condition. He himself entered into our suffering and the human experience. And he never once sinned or fell short of God's glory. But he became our substitute on the cross where he took our wrath, God's wrath, and our punishment so that we could have forgiveness of sins and that we could be adopted by our Heavenly Father. This is Christmas. This is the gospel. And this is the good news that we're saved not because we are good, but we're saved because God is good. Have you ever responded to that good news? We don't need more good advice about how to try to be better people. We need to respond to the good news which has already taken place. And if you're here today or you're listening online and you've never responded to God's good news that Jesus came to save us because we can't save ourselves, today would be a great day to simply say, God, I believe that Jesus is God and he died for my sins and he rose again. Would you please come into my life and make me one of your children? You can do that right where you are. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody or research a little more, please do that so that this Christmas season you understand the true meaning of that. For those of us that already know Jesus, what is God taking you through right now? What hardships or difficulties are you going through? If you're one of his children, you can see all of that with meaning and purpose. And that your perfect Heavenly Father wants to use it to help you become more like Jesus. Are you submitting to that? Do you need somebody to come alongside and help you and encourage you? Reach out to someone. And then for all of us too, who in our life do we know that maybe thinks that God has forgotten them? They feel like if there is a God... He's not listening or he's not there. He's forgotten all about me. Or maybe they just feel like God is this mean guy that's just punishing them. Who do you know that's struggling with that? And what can you do to come alongside of them and help them see what a wonderful God we have during this Christmas season? Would you just read this out? If we can go back to that slide there. Sorry about that. Would you guys just read this out loud with me in closing? Christmas is a celebration to remember God. Christmas is also a celebration that God remembers us. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for these songs that are in Scripture for us that come out of real life experience, reality, history that Jesus stepped into. God, would you cement these truths in our heart? Would you increase our faith and our strength in you? And this Christmas, may we be excited to remember you because you have remembered us. God, that is worthy of giving our entire being and life to. Help us each day to remember who you are and what you've done for us. And may you strengthen us that we might live lives that will be pleasing to you. Use us in your mission to help more people come to know you this way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.